I think I got a penny left for you, Derek. <laughs> you didn't. You did bring your Bible. All right. <sighs> I think uh, probably this is going to be my last week of preaching. I uh, God has this really great sense of humor. And I find that every time that I'm about to preach on something, God has this way of working in my life to test me and to see if I'm going to really do what I'm preaching about. And so I figured the best way to deal with that is to just quit preaching, and then I won't have to deal with those kind of things. So uh, earlier this week, um, this week we're preaching about fairness, and there were a couple situations in which somebody that I love very much wasn't treated fairly. And I didn't handle the situation very well, to be quite honest. And so what I'd say this morning is that this sermon is as much for me as it is for anyone. Now, I'm just kidding about I, I will continue to preach. Um, I think maybe I'll start preaching on wealth and prosperity and see if God will test me with that. But probably not going to work that way, right? So, so this morning we are going to talk about fairness. And um, before we look at the passage that we're going to look at this morning, I, I just want to put something out there that I think is really important for us to understand. And that is that if we go around saying God isn't fair, we really don't want to be treated fairly by God, do we? Because you know what would be fair? Every single one of us is a sinner who has rebelled against God. And what would be fair would be that God would take and and place us in a place of eternal punishment, separated from Him. That would be fair. Instead, what we want is God's grace and mercy, don't we? We don't really want what is fair from God. Now, the problem is, though, that we live in a world where we tend to, to measure things, and so we begin to look around, and we begin to see things that, that just don't make sense to us. And especially when we look around at people who don't seem to have any desire at all for God, who don't seem to love Jesus at all, and we see that that in so many ways they have so much more than we do. And we begin to question, God, God, that doesn't really seem fair. I mean, God, I love you. I've given my life to Jesus. I've put my faith in Him. And yet, all these other people who have rejected you, they have more than I do. And it's really easy to get caught up in this cycle of, of thinking that life isn't fair. Well, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there to uh, Psalm 73. And we're going, to, we're going to begin to see that that psalm is really the antidote to this idea of thinking life isn't fair. And that also it's going to help us to pray when that happens. And so we're going to look at this psalm together this morning. I'm going to do it a little bit differently than we've been doing for the past few weeks. Instead of reading the whole thing all at once and, and then making some comments on it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and and kind of take this phrase by phrase or section by section. We'll, we'll make some observations and then we'll kind of wrap it up this morning by, by talking about how can I pray when life doesn't seem fair. Now you'll notice it, that in the superscription there, it tells us that this psalm was authored by a guy named Asaph. And we don't know a whole lot about him. Really all we know that he was one of three Levites that was chosen by David to help to lead the worship there in the tabernacle. So he was a worship leader. He was someone who had followed after God. He, he ends up writing 12 of the psalms that we have, and this is one of the 12 that he writes. And right off the bat, we understand some things about Asaph from what he writes here. Here's what he writes in verse 1. He says, Truly, God is good to Israel, 
to those who are pure in heart. So we find out right away that, that, that Asaph has some good theology there. He believes that God is good. He believes that God is especially good to Israel and especially good to those who have a heart that seek after Him. And I would agree with that, right? That God is good to those who love Him, to those who seek after Him. That, that's something I think all of us would believe. But somewhere in his life, Asaph began to look at around at what was going on around him and he began to kind of waver a little bit in his belief. And so in verse 2, we see now that, that his feet are, are stumbling. He writes this, But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So we, we see there's some hope there. He says, I'm going along and I kind of slipped, but, but not quite yet. He hadn't fully fallen away from God. Now remember, this is someone, the person writing this is someone who is a, a worship leader there in Israel. It's not some pagan off the street. And if he's struggling with his faith, if he's struggling with this idea that life isn't fair, then, then why should we expect that things are going to be much different for, for us? So I think there's a lot for us to learn from this psalm. In verse 3, we learn what his problem is, and here it is. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The key word here is saw. He looks around him and he sees all the wicked people and he sees that they're, they're prospering. And the word prosperity is really not even a good, necessarily a good translation there. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which is often translated peace. And we've talked about this before. It's this idea of, a, of an entire well-being that a person has, of, of health, spiritual health, of having a relationship with God. And he says, I, I, I look around and I see that that the people who shouldn't have shalom, that they have it. And, and those of us who follow after God, we don't have it. Now we see the problem here. It's what he sees with his own eyes. And that's often true in our lives, right? We look around and we understand and we see things out there and they don't really match up with what we find in the Scriptures. And so we have to somehow reconcile those two things. And that's what we're going to find that, that Asaph is able to do in this psalm. So then in verses, beginning in verse 4, he tells us what he sees. And here's what he sees. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff. And speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them, and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease they increase in their riches. I think what he writes there, we, those are things we could write about the people we see around us, right? We look around in the world, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on there because I, I think these things all kind of make sense to us, and we don't need to spend a lot of time going over them, but, but they really reflect our thoughts a lot of times when we look around. We see the wicked people, they, they say, where is your God? And they're, they're prospering, and we're struggling sometimes, and so it's really easy for us to say that, that life just isn't fair. And so because of that, Asaph comes to a conclusion that we're going to see is wrong. Now, fortunately, by the end of the psalm, he's going to figure that out. But here's what he, he writes beginning in verse 13. 
He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Here's what he's saying. He says, you know, I look around and see all this, and I'm wondering if all this isn't just in vain. I mean, what, what's it worth? Why should I follow God when all these other people around me are prospering and I'm struggling? And it's easy for us to come to that conclusion too. Now, now fortunately, Asaph's going to get beyond that, but I think we all think that at times, don't we? Maybe for some of you kids, you go, you go to school and you're trying to live for Jesus and, and you look around you and some of your friends who don't like Jesus at all, they have more friends and they have better gaming systems than you have. Maybe they, they get better grades than you do because they're just smarter. And you think, well, that just why is it worth it to follow Jesus? Or maybe you go to work. And somebody that's not near as deserving of you, as you are, they, they get the promotion that you've been wanting. And you look at them and you think, is it, is it worth it to follow Jesus? I mean, here I do that all the time and, and somebody else steals the promotion that I should have had. See it all kinds of places. Maybe it's your neighbor and you watch how your neighbor treats his, his wife and his kids. You watch how he treats the other neighbors. And, and it's not very nice. And yet this guy has a, a brand new car in the driveway and he just bought a big old expensive boat that he just pulled up and parked there. And you're thinking, is it all worth it to follow Jesus? I mean, I'm driving this, this 14-year-old beater, you know, just to get around. Is it worth it? And that's what, that's what we're tempted to think here. If we don't follow through with what Asaph's going to do for us in just a moment. Now, I will say, I have to give him some credit, because here in verse 15, what he tells us, he says, he's basically saying, I didn't go around complaining to everyone else. He says, I'm, I'm not going to draw them away from God, too. I'm struggling with my own thoughts, but I'm not going to try to draw someone else. And there's probably some things that we can learn from that. But then we get to verses 16 and 17, and these are, these are really, I, I think, what I would say the, the turning point um, of this psalm. And here's what, what he writes. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. This is the turning point in the entire psalm. If you go back and look at it, up to this point, he's been talking about everyone else. He says, talking about them and their and these. His focus is on everyone else. And now, he does something. It says he goes to worship. And after he worships, his focus is completely changed. And from, the, from this point on, in the rest of the psalm, you're going to see that he's mainly writing about God. He's saying, God, this is who you are. And this is who I am in you. And it, and it completely changes his outlook here. Because he does one thing. Because he goes and worships. You'll also notice here that there's a difference in what he does. Remember earlier he was focused on what he saw with his own eyes. Notice here what he says. He says, I want to understand and I want to discern. And he says that sometimes that's hard work to do. But I want to do that. I want to do more than just see with my eyes. I want to understand things from God's perspective. And that's what he's able to do here. So let's see how it changes his attitude when we get to verse 18. It says this, Truly, he's speaking of the others now, Truly you set them in slippery places. 
you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So he looks around, he now begins to understand, it may look pretty good for them here on this earth, but in the long run, they're not going to keep any of that stuff they have. And they're going to face God's wrath because of the fact they've rebelled against God. So it's not quite as good for them as it might seem by looking at them. He begins to understand and to discern now. And something else happens. He also looks at his own life through the lens of, of God as he worships and, and he turns around and he repents himself. We see this beginning in verse 21. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And so what he does here, he says, look, man, my heart had gotten so, so bitter towards you. God, I'm sorry for that. I now recognize that, that I had a wrong opinion of who you were, and so I have to now repent against that. Let's look as he continues the psalm in verse 23. He says this, and I, I think this is really the, the key to the whole thing. And as a matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and just read these next verses out loud with me? Because this is really, I think, the, the essence of, of what we need to do when we're feeling like, like life isn't fair. So let's read these verses. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Ah. You see, finally, we get to this section of the psalm, we, we come to what is the main idea that we want to hang on to today that we see here from Asaph and here it is when life doesn't seem fair I need to make sure that God is my chief treasure that's what Asaph does he says you know what I don't care about all this other stuff God I don't even care about what you give me or don't give me all I care about is you I love you so much that that my desire is for you and if you take everything else away it doesn't really matter because you're my tre chief treasure that's what I have and I'm convinced that that is the key for us if we're going to get beyond this idea that life isn't fair we have to come to the place where we can say with Asaph what he said back here in, in verse um, 25 whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And until we can say that, we're going to struggle with the idea that life isn't fair. But if we can get to the point where we can honestly say that, then I believe with all my heart that we're not going to be focused on everything else going on around us because we're going to treasure God Himself. And then finally, he comes to the last two verses of this psalm and he kind of summarizes everything that he's learned so far. And here's what he writes. He says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. So he says, the, those if they don't love you, they're going to perish someday and, and everything's going to be taken away. But, but for me, it is good to be near God. It's good to make God my chief treasure. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Not only has He made God His treasure, but He's going to go tell everyone else about that too. 
So as we close our time, let me kind of draw all this together and, and put it in and talk about how do I pray? Take these things that we've learned. How do I pray when life doesn't seem fair? The first thing I have to do is this, is to quit playing the comparison game. That's how Asaph got himself in trouble in the first place. And we live in a world that likes to keep score, right? And we look around at people around us and we think, man, they don't deserve to have what I deserve. And that gets us into trouble. So we need to just quit playing that comparison game. We need to quit looking around at what everyone else has and comparing that to what we have. We need to, as I said before, just be satisfied with God himself and quit playing that comparison game. The second thing is this. We need to be honest with God. Now, this one probably seems kind of familiar with you, right? I think we've come across this point in every sermon in this series. And that's because God already knows what we're thinking. We've talked about that. And aren't you, aren't you thankful that, that these psalmists, that they can go to God, they can go to God when they're afraid, they can go when they, they sin, they can go when they're alone, they can go when life doesn't seem fair, and they can just pour out their feelings honestly to God. There's value in having that conversation with God rather than trying to hold all those things in. Because God already knows them already. And we need, if we have that conversation with God, then, then He can help us to deal with those things in our life. So we need to be honest with God. The third thing we need to do is to evaluate what I see in light of God's Word. In other words, if I only look around and, and see things and I don't take God's Word and, and put them up to light of God's Word, I, I'm going to think wrongly about them. That's what happened to Asaph from the beginning. And again, this is, this is one of the principles I think that's probably come up in, in some form in every message in this series because it's, it's so important that we evaluate things in the light of the, the Scriptures to understand God's viewpoint from, rather than just our viewpoint. That's why we tell you, you need to be spending time in the Bible all the time so you can understand God's heart and, and who He is and you begin to see the things around you and through His eyes rather than just through your own eyes. In his book, uh, Heaven, Randy Alcorn wrote uh, some things that I think give us some really good insight into this idea. Here's what he said. He said, the best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. I like that. I think that's so true. That's God's perspective on things. If you've, put, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you put your faith in Him, then this life is the closest you'll ever come to hell. And so we need to put things in, in perspective of, of God's Word. The next thing that we need to do is to make sure we spend time with God and His people. And again, this is a, a principle that seems to come up over and over again in all these psalms that we've looked at. Now, prayer, I think we tend to think of as just kind of an individual thing, right? And to a large degree it is. But I think what we've seen throughout this, this series is that our prayer life is impacted by our corporate worship life. And that as we draw together and encourage each other, and as we 
we sing to God about who He is. We, we understand who He is. We sing praises to God. We hear His Word preached. All those things begin to impact how we think about God and help us to have His perspective. So they do impact the way that we pray together. I know for me, I think one of the biggest dangers of the COVID epidemic is there are some Christians who have become so isolated and who are still remaining isolated in, in, in some cases. And I worry that that's going to that's gonna impact them because they are going to they are going to fear. They are going to worry, think that life's unfair. We need each other to encourage us. And then finally, the last principle is really our main idea for today. When, this, when we pray, when life doesn't seem fair, I need to make sure God is my chief treasure. Man, when I go pray to God, I ought to say, God, I love you. You're my chief treasure. And I, here's the thing. If we honestly do that when we pray to God, I think it's really hard to complain. I mean, think about it. If you were to go to God in prayer and pray, God, I am so in love with you. I love you so much. Thank you for loving me. I don't need anything else in my life except you. It's pretty hard to turn around and then start complaining about things, isn't it? And that's why we need to treasure God above all else. Now, this morning, we're going to wrap up this, this sermon series, and we've talked about how to pray when you sin and how to pray when you're alone, how to pray when you're afraid, how to pray when life doesn't seem fair. But as I pointed out at the beginning of this, uh, this series, going to the Psalms for prayer, it's more than just about these emotions. The, the Psalms cover almost any emotion that you could come up with. And that's why you need to be spending some time in the Psalms reading through them so that when you... Maybe when you're discouraged, you can go and you can find a psalm that you can use to help you pray when you're discouraged. Maybe you get angry and you can go to the psalms and you can find a a psalm there that will help you to pray. So, So I'm hopeful that over these four weeks, not only have you learned how to pray in these specific situations, but... But you've also kind of learned how to pray in general with your emotions by going back to the Psalms and using them to guide you. And one of the really neat things, and something I didn't even necessarily expect when we began this series, is that there are some things in common between all four of these prayers that we've looked at over the last four weeks. Some of the principles we've seen in almost every one of these. And I, I want to take just a moment to see if you can help me identify what some of those are. So, what are some things you've seen that have been like every week over the last four weeks, some principles? We, obviously, we just shared a few of them. Yeah, be honest with God. Man, we come back to that over and over. Absolutely. What else? Yeah, spend time with God. Spend time in God's Word so that we get to know Him and understand Him, begin to evaluate things through the lens of Scripture. Absolutely. What else? Yeah, don't don't give up corporate worship. Spend time with other believers. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys have done a great job of identifying those. Next slide just kind of summarizes, and and I think you guys have have pretty much hit on all those. The the first one, the most important, make sure I know God personally. Make sure that I put my faith in Jesus Christ because. Frankly, you can try all these other principles and they might work to some degree, but unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ, they're probably not going to work all that well. 
So we've seen this morning that we need to make God our chief treasure. And if we'll do that, if we'll quit looking around and, and seeing everything that's going on around us and what other people have that we don't and all those kind of things, then and make God our chief treasure, I can't tell you that life will be fair. But I can promise you it'll be a whole lot better than that. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for these psalms that we've looked at over the last four weeks. Father, I know in my own personal life, I have, I've seen some areas that I sure need to work on in my own life. When it comes to praying through some of my emotions. And Father, my guess is that others have too. So just help us to take the things that we have learned over these last four weeks and put them into practice in our lives. I especially want to pray this morning for anyone uh, joining us who's never put their faith in Jesus because, Father, that's where this all begins. Just ask right now that you would draw them to you. Father, I know there's nothing that any human can do to convince them to put their faith in Jesus other than just sharing your word and letting you work through it, Father. And So that's what we've done. And just ask that you would work in their lives too. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Father, thank you for being worthy of being our chief treasure. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.